You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to the We Are Libertarians Daily Podcast. I am Hody Johns, and I'm joined by Reinhold. How are you doing today, buddy? I'm doing great. Great, great, man. Good to hear. Uh, today, we're going to not focus on the caravan, because you're going to hear about that in our uh, main uh, we Are Libertarians episode, we're actually going to talk about why the caravan, why the caravan's happening over here. What did America do in Honduras and uh, Nicaragua? They have kind of a funny name for it. What, what's the name for those three countries down there that we keep wrecking? It's, a, it's the Northern Triangle. The Northern Triangle. There you go. Uh, and, and we're going to talk a little bit about the history there and get into why people would leave those countries for our country. Um, and so, yeah, let's uh, let's get into to it. Reinhold, did you have anything else to uh, set us up for the the main course that we're about to serve? Any appetizers you want to deliver? Um, not really. I say let's get into it and get a little bit of a history here, and then talk a little bit about the current state. All right, awesome. So we're going to start with old history. Now, people are going to talk. Usually, the news that I've see, seen, they've been talking about the coup in two thousand and nine. Now, that's probably Correct. the biggest reason it it it's happening. But there's a there's a lot of things that we did to even create a situation in which a coup happened, and this goes all the way back to to late 1800s. Um, I'm going to read this. Please check our show notes. I have a bunch of different sources here, and I'm not going to cite them all on air, but you are free to read them for yourself. Uh, so there's a book called Inevitable Revolutions, the United States and Central America. It's written by historian Walter Lefebvre, and he was, uh, and I apologize if I botched his last name, but uh, he was stationed in Honduras for a little while and got really a good perspective from the locals on kind of what happened. Um, but he writes, American companies built railroads, established their own banking systems, and bribed government officials at a dizzying pace. As a result, the Caribbean coast became a foreign-controlled enclave that uh, symmetrically swung the whole of Honduras into a one-crop economy whose wealth was carried off to New Orleans, uh, New York, and later Boston. That one crop is bananas. By 1914, U.S. banana interests own almost 1 million acres of Honduras's best land. Those holdings grew through the 1920s. Uh, Honduran peasants had no hope of access to their nation's good soil. After a few decades, U.S. capital also came to dominate the country's banking and mining sectors. That process was facil facilitated by a weak state like the Honduras state. Um, and their business sector, but they were driven by the U.S. government. This was coupled with uh, direct U.S. political military inter interventions uh, to protect our interests. We actually sent military over there to stop anybody from rioting, both in 1907 and 1911, to make sure this kept going on. So it, it's so. F step one 
we wrecked their economy or we made their economy based on bananas and right. we based it on selling bananas to us. It's, it's where the phrase banana Republic comes in. There's even a clothing line now. It's based off of that name, but this was an actual thing that happened where we, it helped create a banana Republic. So that banana Republic isn't all of a sudden now I have bad feelings about that. Do I need to burn some t-shirts or <laughs> no, I don't think they just chose the name because they had heard it before and it was catchy and they needed a name. I don't think that's a, they're tied in any way. Okay. Okay. Uh, it just became, it became a phrase in the lexicon because it is kind of a well-established thing that it, it wasn't only Honduras that this happened to, but it was the first kind of public knowledge of this happening. So it got the phrase of an end Republic. So now other places are known as banana republics because of that, but it all kind of hinges around what we did for the banana trade, Central America. Okay. Well, that makes, okay. That makes sense. I, I had no idea where that's came from, but uh, I'm going to feel very politically conscious then when I try to dress in trendy clothing from now on. No, I'm kidding. I, I'd be lucky if the ARC carried any banana Republic clothes. Yeah. So just give you a, a quick definition. Okay. Uh, the, the term of banana Republic describes a politically unstable country with an economy dependent upon the exportation of a limited resource product, such as bananas or minerals. And so we had, we turned them into a banana Republic. Then we gave them a one, mm -hmm. one, they were, uh, they had only one thing to grow and they only had one person to sell it to. Now, obviously if the U S uh, this is, this is not a free market solution really. Because they could grow whatever the region says to grow and sell it to whoever they want. Neither of those things are true. And therefore, without a free market economy, I mean, your guess is as good as mine, but we can probably take an educated guess looking at history and what we would know about what happens when we intervene and don't allow free markets to exist. Things did not go so well for Honduras then in the last hundred years. No, and, and the United States has a history of touting free market economies and then going into other countries and instilling non-free market economies. Funny that we love it when we have it, but we don't like it when somebody else has it. It was the biggest thing for like Iran and Iraq, for example, both were going to sell the oils that they had in the fifties to Russia. And because of the cold war, we didn't want that. So we went in and uh, instigated coups there in both of those countries and look how that turned. You played it great. That is, that is what I wanted people to hear that, that that's what we did is in Honduras and Nicaragua as that's kind of the same, same situation of what we did exactly. in the Middle East. Those countries are big and they're threatening and dangerous. We're not so much threatened by Honduras, but you gotta understand that financial situation is, is very similar, right? We did the same thing. These other guys right. now have, are very dangerous and the other ones are just kind of poor and not yet dangerous, but well, the other thing, go ahead. Well, there's more that happened with Honduras, right? I don't know if we want to get into that, but it's, it wasn't just the economy thing. Um, so the banana Republic in the 1900s, 1920s that instituted that portion of the history. But then we get into the war on drugs and that changes things a little bit more because now we've got, you know, the Sandinistas. We're trying to fight uh, Central America, sending drugs up in the United States. And we ended up 
getting involved way deep in the politics and the governments down there just to try and stop the drug trade into the United States because of the war on drugs. So, I, and just another example of suppressing what their free economy would ordinarily do, that that we said, no, 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 nothing except bananas, that includes drugs. Now, I don't, I don't love drugs, I don't do drugs as much as the, the next guy. But I do want to dig into that drug war thing a little bit. How would it have been different had we not had a drug war for Honduras and Nicaragua? What would have changed? Well, I mean, we, so we wouldn't have been as involved in their governments at that point because by then bananas aren't an economic issue that we have to worry about anymore. We're getting bananas from everywhere at that point. So now the economy of Honduras is starting to have to try and figure itself out and sell other things and the other countries around doing the same thing. And there's coffee that they're trying to sell. There's other things they're trying to sell. So they're, they're finding that um, they can make a lot more money by changing their crops over to drug related cops crops and selling them at a huge markup in the United States where it's illegal there. Right. So we create this black market in the United States for the drugs uh-huh. which incentivizes them to then start growing the crops for those drugs because they can make a huge markup more than they could on bananas or coffee or any other resource, right? So right. now you've got a lot of money being rolled in. You've got a lot of power being generated. And that's when all of the cartels start getting involved in the governments down there. Right. And so this is an important distinction here is that's how – when we talk about the drug war creating cartels, I mean, this is it literally at at a government scale. I mean, for us, obviously, the cartels aren't going to take over the government. Well, I say obviously. I mean, how many of our politicians have been, been caught with drugs in their car? But you know what I mean. The mobsters aren't taking there's more. There's more powerful cartels in the United States than the drug cartels. Yeah, <laughs> correct. But in other countries, it, I mean, in, at some point, it almost becomes their government. In fact, in Nicar- at neighboring Nicaragua with the Sandinistas that you're talking about, that pretty much was their government, was a drug cartel. Um, and that's due to our drug policy. Uh, so, so let's skip ahead a little bit. We're drug warring them the whole time, though. And so we go to the Reagan administration. They tempor- temporarily sanctioned several hundred U.S. soldiers in Honduras. Now, the author puts temporarily in quotation marks. I wonder why that could be, Reinhold. Because as with every temporary uh, deployment of military that the United States has done, they have never ended. Not a single one. So why do we even bother calling it temporary then, Reinhold? Because people like to feel that we are doing the right thing. And, of course, we support a temporary institution. We don't support like a permanent base somewhere. But guess what happens? Permanent bases get put up. So we that's how we sell it. That's the that's the wrapping paper. Oh, don't worry. You can throw it, it, this out. Right. And in, and how do you prove that something's permanent? They could say it's temporary. It's just it's been 20 years, but we'll we'll eventually pull out. Right. You know, it's just temporary. So this is temporary. <laughs> so the where's the administration, where's the right? So uh, right. That, that's I mean that predates a lot of our audience already. 
how long we've been in Afghanistan, you know? I mean, it was a temporary thing. Right, right. We're just trying to do a quick thing. I forgot to tell you what the thing was, but yeah. So, yeah. We, so we established some temporary soldiers in Honduras. We trained uh, Contra rebels on Honduran soil, Nicaragua's Contra rebels, uh, to help overthrow Nicaragua's government. Uh, and we right. greatly increased, and then we did so, of course, at, at some of our own expense too, with military aid, arms sales, you know, giving them, you know, giving them cheap guns, sending them our soldiers, sending them, you know. Right. There was there was a fear, uh-huh. there was fear at the time that the uh, government was going to turn communist. Yep. So we can't have that. And really. If we let them have a free market, wouldn't that probably be the best solution to fighting communism? Well, and the other part is, too, why not let them institute communism? It fail as it does everywhere it's tried. And then you come in and help them build and create a free market economy like uh, they would want. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm right there with you. I don't want the point to get missed, though. Uh, I it, it's questionable if they even would have felt the need to turn that right. way without the free. without the political pressures right that were right. going on at the time. Just like with Iran and Iraq, they were thinking of selling to Russia just because the United States was putting so much pressure. And the you, you, actually, Britain owned the oil companies at the time, right? So they nationalized the oil companies because they were getting screwed out of all the profits. Yep. And then we're saying, okay, now we're going to sell to more people which included Russia, which the U.S. couldn't abide by. Kind of the same thing happens down there where um, there, we're getting involved so much that we're almost directing the, the kind of resistance against it. Then it just becomes knee-jerk, and they want to go the other way of whatever we're doing. Exactly. And, it, and all that combined with it happening with our dollars helping it happen. And so when you look at some of our military spending, a lot of times, you know, that's the one for the right leaning libertarians. That's kind of the the golden grail. That's the one thing that we got to that's I'm sorry, holding holy grail. That's the one thing that we're not supposed to mess around too much with. But you understand some of this military aid is being used in a way that will make us have to take military action later or is ending up costing us in the long run. So when we talk about decreasing military aid, we're not necessarily talking about making the countries less safe in fact in places like like honduras and nicaragua nicaragua we're talking about making them more safe yeah we're actually more talking about stopping creating the the situations that we end up later having to go and fight for right we created the whole middle east we created the whole south america and Central america issues the northern triangle is the is listed right now as the most dangerous place on the planet that includes war zones that are currently going on places like Somalia and Africa, where there are actually fighting going on. There's rockets launched into Palestine today, right? It's still more dangerous in the Northern triangle right now than that. So we, we do all this. We then destabilize, and I'm reading again from this book here. We destabilize the global coffee trade upon which Honduras heavily depended. So we say no drugs, no coffee. We're still making them at this point, just bananas, just bananas to us. You know, things that, and we're, and like you said, we're starting to get them from other places in the world. They're not even our biggest banana source. So, so they're relying on a crop that we don't necessarily even need very much of. We're not giving them a good price on it. Everything's falling apart. Traditional forms of agriculture 
or undermined. It's already a weak safety net. And that brings us to 2009. Now, what I, I guess, what's the first thing you want to talk about in 2009? Well, so in 2009, it got so bad and it had been so destabilized uh, from the coffee trade and everything else and the drug war on drugs and trying to um, make sure that we were still in control of the area so we could control the flow that a coup happened. And I think at the time people just thought it was a normal coup because they didn't understand that the United States instigated it. Well, and there were a, one of the reasons it blew over and I remember reading it in the newspaper, but I mean, it wasn't even front page news is because I thought that they were just, they were a military government. We'd set them up that right. way, you know? And so I just thought, Oh, the military decided the president wasn't doing a good job and took over. That's what they get for having a military government. Little did I know little to, uh, I mean, it was a military government we designed for them that took over. And, and the other part of this is it was illegal. It was not even in their laws that, that this could happen to a government. But instead of restabilizing the country, what did we go ahead and do? We we propped him up. We said, right. okay, we support these new guys. You know, that last guy, you're right. He sucked. And he wasn't great. You know, this happens in the Middle East till, still. You know, we're, I, I love these parallels, right? Same thing. We arm a bunch of rebels who we dislike more than the dictator. And then the rebels become the dictator with arms. And then surprise, we find out that they are either no better or worse than the previous guy. And They're either ISIS or Al-Qaeda or something else. That's what they end up being. Right. We've been talking a lot about Khashoggi. I mean, and he was the Muslim Brotherhood who ended up decrying the Muslim Brotherhood by just saying, well, now we've become exactly like like the guy we replaced. Yeah, we were supposed to be yeah like the things we were against. Right. Yeah. And, and, the, and the problem was is that, I mean, what the leader of Honduras did was questionable whether it was legal or not. Uh, but the coup that it took place after, I mean, we, we were so involved in that. We find out later. And, and just to give you an idea though, of what the coup ended up doing to the region. I mean, we could get into the, the back and forth on how it came about and the technical aspects of it. But the end result of the coup was that leading up to it, the the country was seeing a decrease in extreme poverty and and uh, after it the poverty increased thirteen point two percent extreme poverty increased twenty six point three percent in just three years. Right, this was not a takeover that was led by this great ideal of let's help feed the people, let's get out of this economic terrible thing that we're in. This was a power grab. And instead of, and and you would think that the least we could do, and again, I'm still preaching non-interventionalism here, but in a country that we had intervened with so many times to all of a sudden choose that moment to be like, yeah, we'll let the, we'll let these new guys take over. And since 2009, uh, Let's see here. Ah, rights historian Dana Frank. A series of corrupt administrations had unleashed open criminal control of Honduras from top to bottom of the government. The Trump's administration recognition in December 2017 to President Juan Orlando Hernandez's re-election after a process marked by deep irregularities, fraud, and violence. 
Uh, this continues Washington's long-standing willingness to overlook official corruption in Honduras as long as the country's ruling elites serve what are defined as U.S. economic and ge- geopolitical interests. Uh, organized crime, drug traffickers, the country's police heavily overlap. The frequent military-motivated killings are rarely punished. In 2017, uh, Global Witness, an international non-governmental organization, uh, and the, oh, I'm reading something that you already said, found that Honduras was the world's deadliest country. So it's this is the worst country. This is, I guess I can't say worst country in the world. There's several ways to measure that. As far right. as living, this is the worst country in the world. And we had a huge well, hand in it. It, it, it. I guess you could compare that to Venezuela, but yeah, yeah it's still, and it's not that we had a huge hand in it. We, we propped it up. So WikiLeaks released documents, um, like 250,000 documents about this, right? And in there, we find that uh, what was it? The Clinton and her team, Hillary Clinton, State Department, and her team worked behind the scenes to stall efforts by neighboring countries through the Organization of American States, yep. which is a collection of Central and South American countries. They were trying to restore uh, Zataya to power, and over basically to fight off the coup. They were trying to put him back into power just so he could stabilize things back into place, right? right? And Hillary Clinton and her State Department worked behind the scenes to prevent that from happening, to make sure the coup went through. And before you go to start, get out your tinfoil to put it on your head, this is documented. This is something, even beyond WikiLeaks, this was verified. And I and This was later verified by other investigations. Too. I mean, and and... So there are other, yeah, other investigations that found out that this was indeed the case, that our Secretary of State and her department helped make sure that that guy didn't come back. Um, again, Mr. Zelaya, not a good guy. Um, truth and reconciliation, uh, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, said Mr. Zelaya, 58, had maneuvered himself into a corner where he lacked the support of Congress, Supreme Court, and even his own party. Uh, the commission said Mr. Zelay broke the law when he disregarded the Supreme Court, ordering him to cancel the referendum. Uh, there's a referendum going on, which he actually ordered canceled. It's kind of like the president issuing an executive order that he's not allowed to or issue. But we wouldn't know anything about that here in America, would we, Reinhold? Never. No, uh, it never happens in a constitutional uh, country where we, we respect and honor the Constitution above. Right. So his, so we, we say, okay, you can't, you know, or his Supreme Court says that was illegal, but there's a, when someone breaks the law, there's still a legal process, right? We're saying you didn't obey the legal process. Here's what you're going to go through. Instead, they just ousted him. That was way illegal, and but we never did anything to fix it. In fact, as we found out, we actually aided in the complete overthrow of the country. And so now you have what you have, deadliest country in the world, completely falling apart. Um, and, and I mean, what's our role now? Well, right now we're there again, just making sure that the, the existing people who are in power are doing what they can to stop the flow of drugs in the United States. Cause that's, they are basically the main path from central, from South America to, to, to North America, the drugs flow through their countries. So we're making sure that they stop that flow whoever is in power and who's willing to do that is who we're propping up and defending giving aid to 
but the people in power are drug lords themselves. So we're just saying what? Don't just right. make sure that those drugs don't go o- over to our country and we'll be good. Right. Or or we'll look the other way on a certain amount, just curtail the largest amount, make sure that they're not coming in from those other countries and we'll let some of them go. You know, that there's all this stuff going on behind the scenes that we don't know about yet that that are happening. Right. It's 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 almost all related to that. It is. So we're about time for, for final thoughts here. Uh, I, I will go ahead and give you mine. This is not an uncommon situation. We do it in the Middle East. We're still doing it today. So we need to learn some lessons here. And this is when you hear the term temporary, when it refers to a military occupation. It's not temporary. It never is. I understand when we don't want to provide a timetable for like a military action because then our you know our enemies might know oh this is how long we have to hold out for but there does need to be some type of specific and achievable goal as american people that's the only way you can hold your government accountable by saying you didn't achieve this specific and we gave you permission to do this and you're still doing this now we can stop you instead they said well we said it was temporary but we didn't say how temporary <laughs> we didn't say exactly when you know we have ruined a lot of lives and so when you see this caravan coming towards our border we again that's going to be covered in the main episode but understand that's the hellhole these people are coming from Trump has a different word for it that that involves a swear, but it's not like we can wash our hands of it. We had a huge stake in creating this caravan, and now they want to come to the United States for asylum from where they just were. And that should just think about that. I'm not going to tell you what to think, but think about that while you're crafting your view of the people that show up at the border. And Reinhold, I will turn the rest of the time over to you. Well, and it, it- it's not the first time either that this has happened. I mean, we've in got involved in other countries and ended up creating refugee um, crises because of it. We had the Vietnamese boat people in the seventies. We had the Haitian boat people um, in the late seventies, early eighties. Um, and we instituted a bunch of rules because of those that have really gone far above and beyond what we should be doing as a country and preventing asylum seekers from coming here. Uh, we used to we used to bring ten thousand five to ten thousand people a day just through Ellis Island, right? right. Back in the nineteen hundreds, and now we're worried about a couple thousand people coming from Honduras just to seek asylum. They're not coming here to, you know, take over the country or whatever. I mean, and and the other thing too is this isn't the first caravan. Caravans have been coming from Honduras since two thousand ten, right? Um, they're gaining momentum because things are getting worse and worse there. Some of the stories, if you talk to the people who are coming from Honduras about what they're leaving are horrendous situations, uh, torture, rape, murder, uh, pure terror is going on down there. So when these caravans get started and there's usually one during the Holy week of Lent every year. Uh, and then there's been other ones at other times that have just spontaneously happened. And they start out with a couple couple hundred people, get organized and get together and start marching. Other people see them going and go, oh, I can, you know, safety in numbers. I'll try to get out of here now because my situation is so bad. And that's why they're coming here, right? And it just seems like we're doing everything we can, meddling in so many different places in the world because we think we're doing so to make the world a safer place. 
when in reality we're making it much more unstable and we're not willing to take responsibility for the lives that we've ruined and help them out in any way. You know, we treat them as, you know, why aren't they fixing their own country? Well, if we would stay out of their own country, they might be able to fix it, but you're not letting them. Exactly. So, I, uh, so, so right now, if people want to talk with you about this subject, where's the place to get a hold of you? Uh, I am on Twitter at Reinhold at Reinhold. Um, and I also have a website, Reinhold.org. And, um, not sure where else to do that at. Um, if you got your own website, but or they could another. Enough. I mean, that's pretty. Good. Right, yeah, and um, there's also the Discord. I want to tout that as best as we can. There's a We Are Libertarians Discord. Feel free to jump in. Tell me I'm horribly wrong and I'm uh, ruining the ruining the uh, country with my rhetoric <laughs> uh, because it's not like I've never heard that from anybody else before. Fantastic. I welcome it. It's okay. I, uh, you know, it's, we've had some healthy disagreements in the discord. I just had one earlier today, uh, earlier yesterday. I'm sorry about my open, uh, I'm sorry, not the open borders, the police slavery or uh, prison slavery right. episode. Prison but, slavery episode. You know, yeah. 13th if, Amendment. Yeah. If you are, if, and, and we're, we came to a great amicable solution where we agree to disagree, but you know, if you just want to have shoot the breeze and talk about some philosophy or, um, specifics or share research or share ideas. We take show ideas all the time. Or just crack jokes and have fun. There's I mean, it's just a place for, for people of like-minded thought to get together and have a good time, joke about things that are happening, comment on current events, talk philosophy. There was um, a few months ago, there was a couple of us who was, were getting into long, just hour-long diatribes that were in there, and people were loving reading them. Um, some people were, I guess. Some people weren't, but... Uh, those happen spontaneously. It's a lot of fun sometimes just to to have those conversations. Right. So yeah, join the Discord. Uh, you can find it on the you know the Weird Libertarians main page. Uh, you can find me on social media. I am on Facebook primarily, and it's Hody Johns H O D E Y. Uh, I'm one of the only ones. Last name J O H N S. If it comes up, but uh, feel free to throw me a friend request. Uh, please share the show. Please uh, subscribe to our Patreon and. Uh, thank you so much for your listening to this episode, because if you've gotten this far, you've already helped us quite a bit. So, uh, Reinhold, thank you so much, and you have an excellent day.